by the BatmanUniverse.net. Welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 34. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, we have with us... It's Apple. This is Savannah. And this is Nick. And we are bringing you the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news from the past two weeks, as well as our spotlight character, which in this episode is going to be Deathstroke the Terminator. And our feature, we're going to talk about what exactly went wrong with Batman and Robin. I can see it clearly now for the first time. So let's get into movie news. Actually, the very first and only thing we have is uh, on May 31st, Heath Ledger won the MTV Movie Award for Best Villain. And they didn't even bother doing it on stage for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. But they announced it during the red carpet that he won the award. So congratulations to Heath Ledger, who has won Yes. Yep. It was good that he won the award, but semi-disappointing that they didn't do it, you know, with some circumstance. Like someone picking it up, right? Yeah. You know, at least Chris Nolan go up there and pick it up. Yeah. I guess they didn't know who to make, to who to have pick it up, but I guess. I think what really happened was because The Dark Knight was nominated so so many awards they knew that the Dark Knight wasn't going to win because it was competing against Twilight so they decided Ugh. we don't want somebody from the Dark Knight to have to sit during the movie awards and listen to Twilight win just because a bunch of tween age girls decided to vote for Twilight a thousand times and the Dark Knight had no chance yeah we need oh, to yeah. Plus, I um, agree. plus Sasha Baron Cohen I think grabbed most of the attention as Bruno <laughs> <laughs> that was very bizarre. Anyway. <laughs> Watch yourselves, man. These guys are crazy. Alright, so moving on to the next bit of news into TV news, we've got only one thing to report again. On June 2nd, Cartoon Network announced the tentative schedule for Batman the Brave and the Bold for June. On June 5th, we already saw that the episode was Hail the Tornado Tyrant, which featured the Red Tornado and Major Disaster. Going into, while you listen to this, on Friday, June 12th, we have Duel of the Double Crossers. The synopsis reads, when Mongol recruits Jonah Hex to bring new gladiators to War World, the Old West bounty hunter wrangles the Dark Knight. After a change of heart, Hex and Batman team up to take down the violent Empire. On June 19th, we have The Last Bat on Earth. Gorilla Grodd travels to the future where intelligent animals rule humans. Batman follows him and teams with Kamandai, the last boy on Earth, to bring him down. And then the last Friday of the month, June 26th, we have When Omak Attacks. The all-American fighting machine Omak is pitted against the equally destructive shrapnel in a chaotic fight to the finish. But the architect behind the battle is the mysterious, balance-obsessed villain Libra. Now, I have to just make a couple quick comments about this. Are they running out of characters? Because we just saw Mongol in an episode a while back. Red Tornado. He's Gorilla Grodd, we've seen. We've seen Gorilla Grodd. I mean, the only ones that's kind of new is Omak. Um, they've showed Libra before, actually, in one of the teasers. Uh, oh, they yeah, that's Kamandai right. They showed Kamandai in 
Razor before, so I don't know. How can they run out of? Characters? I like Jonah Hex. I love Jonah Hex. That's gonna be sweet. That could that be fun. Be sweet, but I'm, I'm just kind of wondering to myself, like, do they are they just using the characters to give them a big enough props to like so they can have their own action figure? I mean, I don't know. To me, it just seems like using a villain that you just used less than a month ago seems kind of repetitive. Maybe you're right. Maybe the people that are doing the marketing are telling them, stop making new villains. We can't catch up with the toy lines. Well, we got to sell the Something. old moldings ones first. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't seem to make sense, but maybe something like that. Yeah, needless to say, the episodes have been episodes have been a little bit more amusing and a little bit more uh, higher quality by some standards but I, I'm just hoping that once they get into July we actually see some newer characters that they haven't shown in teasers it's like let's introduce them in the teaser and then we'll, we'll bring them back for an actual thing but then in reality what's the point of having as wide a range of characters as you possibly can with the DC Universe if you're going to use the same character using a teaser for a real episode two months later right I just wanted to say that I think we should all be slightly humble at the Batman universe because I don't know if you guys remember but when we first heard about the fact they're doing a Batmite episode I think we were all cringing a little bit but uh, I think oh, I can yes. safe, I think I can safely say we all generally enjoyed that episode so I think we should all say well done to the brave and the bold for achieving something yes. that was quite a challenge we must apologize to whoever we should be apologizing to for ever doubting them because that was a great episode. And now we can yeah. sit back and breathe a deep sigh of relief. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was, uh, I was, I heard it was Batman. I was like, I'm not watching that at all. I'm staying away from it. <laughs> but it's Batman, so I succumbed to it. And I watched it, and I cannot believe I'll say that, but I love the Batmite episode. I love yeah. it. I, I just I just loved all the references they did in there and the I guys whoever did that, y'all did an awesome job. Congrats. Wasn't yeah. it written by Paul Dini? Did I see that? Yes, in it was Paul Dini. Yeah. Every time I like an episode particularly well, it's it's Paul Dini. I know. Was I was like one that was a super dog. I was like, I like this episode. Oh, Paul Dini. <laughs> This one? Yeah, I've expressed my opinions on the forum. The last two or three episodes, the one with Robin, Huntress, and the Batmite one, I think have actually been a lot better than the the stuff we've had before. Much better. And and um, you know, I'm paying attention now, so let's see if they can keep it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's go into merchandise news once again. There's not a ton of stuff. The very first thing we have is on May 26th. Our friends over at Gotham Knights Online came across some information about an exclusive Joker figure from the Dark Knight line at Toys R Us. It's going to be 12 inches tall and is set to be released sometime in the middle of this month. It's going to come with a stand and resemble the pose that is on the original Joker poster. So this could be interesting. Um, I know a lot of places, I know for a lot of different places, don't have Toys R Us around them. Um, I know I don't have a Toys R Us for a good hour's drive, so... If you're lucky enough to live near Toys R Us, you might want to check out this 12-inch Joker. It might be worth it if you wouldn't if you weren't able to afford the movie masterpiece version from Hot Toys. So 
Yeah, I'm probably going to pick up a, for sure a couple of these. Alright, and then the only other thing we have is on June 2nd, Warner Brothers sent us an announcement. The uh, 2009 licensing expo was the same week as E3. I don't know who decided to schedule that at the same time, but Warner Brothers sent us an announcement basically covering the future of some of the Batman merchandise and has some pretty good info of what to expect from the merchandise side of things for the rest of this year. So I'm going to read the announcement and then we'll go over it. So the headline was Batman DC Comics Superheroes Soar. Cape Crusader teams up with superheroes across the DC Universe in Batman the Brave and the Bold, a new animated television series that has dominated the ratings since its debut and will be a prime fixture at this this year's licensing show. Airing on Cartoon Network, the action-packed series licensing program is anchored by DC Comics' master toy licensee Mattel and features other categories such as fashion, separates, accessories, back-to-school supplies, t-shirts, and sleepwear sets. So... Then it goes on to say later on that Warner Brothers Consumer Products on behalf of DC Comics recently announced a partnership with renowned global fashion designer Mark Echo to introduce co-branded limited edition collections inspired by one of the most complex and intriguing characters in history. Batman along with select members of his classic rogues gallery using fashion forward graphics inspired by the dark edginess of the Dark Knight, the new line is based on an array of some more vibrant and villainous characters in the DC Universe, including the Joker, Two-Face, Mr. Freeze, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, and others. The product lines include hoodies, tees, woven shirts, headwear, and watches will appeal to diverse youth culture that is influenced by indie music, art, martial arts, and skating. So what does this mean? Basically, we're going to be seeing a lot of Brave and the Bold stuff very shortly. We got back to school coming up very in the next couple months, so we're going to see a ton of Batman the Brave and the Bold items for back to school, backpacks, lunchboxes, stuff like that, and then all kinds of different stuff for kids as well. I'm probably, you, you know, when, when they come out with, like, with the Batman folders, I mean, I'm not even in school anymore, but when I see them right there, when I go to Walmart, I got to buy them. So, so even folders or whatever binders that they have, I, I'm going to pick that up. So, yeah, even Brave and the Bold stuff, I'll pick up. I do have a weakness for office supplies, so I'll be right there with you. Right? It's like a weakness, right? Once you see it, like, oh, no, I, I need like, more oh, pins. I got, like, 100 pins, but I need more pins. Yes, I'll pick them up. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, and this um, this new Mark Echo thing should be interesting. I don't know that much about it except for the shoes, but it could be cool. If there's going to be like Harley Quinn t-shirts, I'm going to be all over it. I'm excited. Yeah, I, I'm interested in seeing some hoodies. I love wearing. I, I the only kind of jackets I'll wear in the winter, but I'd be, I'm interested in seeing some Dark Knight themed villain um, hoodies in the future because there's not a really big selection of choice when you come when it comes down to most yeah. of the items they mentioned so right right you know what speaking of a hoodie the hoodie I would like to see I don't know if you guys have seen it but there's a drawing rendering of Two-Face that looks very like a Scarface from the Al Pacino movie Oh, I could. They have a two-faced one. I wish they put that on a hoodie. That would be well, so sweet. Be a black and white poster. Yes, they have yeah, two-faced right. like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Harvey. All right, so let's head over into video game news, and Apple's going to tell us the latest news about Batman Arkham Asylum. 
Okay, guys. So on the last podcast, we had just heard some news coming out. And what came out for the PX3 exclusive was the new Batman Arkham Asylum Joker trailer. And we're going to play a clip of it. So that clip was awesome. You get to see where he gets to put on like the detective vision like Batman has. He's going to be able to put it on with his glasses so you can see everyone around you. And he has like those little swirling like the spiral. That looks so sweet. Did y'all like that? I thought it was pretty cool. I love the music that they used in that trailer because it's so upbeat and it almost like went perfectly with all the Joker actions that were actually going on. Hopefully we get to also hear maybe when the video game comes out, maybe a soundtrack with this uh, video game. Because as you know, Batman fans, we're, we're diehards for Batman soundtrack. So hopefully we get a soundtrack out of this one. How oh, about yeah. you, Nick? Did you like it? I did like it very much. I thought the Joker looked like he's going to be a very, very cool playable character. And I can't wait to play around with him. It looks great fun. Yeah, a great reason to be a PS3 owner. <laughs> yeah, exclusively yeah. on PS3. And also some great news that we heard that same day was the official release date. Now, guys, we know this date has been it's been June, July. Okay, now it's back to September. Well, we finally heard from them the final release date is August 25th in North America and August 28th in Europe. Damn. <laughs> you can't say anything. You have that awesome special edition. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's true. You do have that special edition that's going to be really sweet. And you get the costumes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, on June 4th, well, this is all leading to E3. So on June 4th, what we got was a new Batman Arkham Asylum gameplay video. And this one, we get to see Batman interacting with Oracle, as she calls him. But we also get to see Joker's henchmen as they... <laughs> As I cry, uh, beat up the Batmobile. <laughs> so, and the Batmobile wasn't having the Batman. The Batmobile was toughing it. But that's an awesome click, guys. Head to the BatmanUniverse.net and click on the video in the video game news, so you can go ahead and see that video. Okay. 
on June 4th, the same day, we also were treated to a video that IGN did, a special interview with the developers from Batman Ark Asylum about the origins of the Dark Knight in Batman. So they go exclusively and telling you where they got the idea, where it came from, the gameplay, all the details, juicy stuff you love to hear. They went and talked about it. And we also have that on the website, guys. So you could go and to go ahead and view it. And now we had Batman Arkham Asylum at E3. And guys, we had tons of videos out there. A lot of videos you can go ahead and view under the video game section in our uh, forums, in the Batman Universe forums. You can go ahead and view all these videos. But within these videos at E3, we saw exclusive demos. They were doing a 15-minute demo of the first 15 minutes of the video game. And that was very cool. Were any of you able to see it? Yes, and the coolest part about it was that Another character has been confirmed, which we kind of already knew, but we know that Victor Zaz is going to be in the game because he's in the first 15 minutes of the game. Whether or not he actually has more than just that part, though, will be interesting to see. Exactly. And that demo was really sweet. Savannah, Nick, were you able to see it? I only watched part of it, but I know a travesty. <laughs> but it it's pretty exciting that Zaz is in the game, and I'm pretty sure that they'll keep him, you know, in gameplay, because I doubt that they would just introduce him without using him, you know? But then again, I don't know. It could have some more to do with the story of the game than the gameplay, if that makes sense. <laughs> I saw some parts of the videos online, but I was just wondering if you could tell me, has it all been positive news coming out of E3, or has it been mixed, or I imagine it's mostly positive? Well, I can I can confirm to you that every video game site is eagerly awaiting this Batman video game. They believe that this may be the first Batman video game to be a la Christopher Nolan, what Christopher Nolan did with Batman to re- reintroduce him, to make, make it awesome, and to uh, be like the Dark Knight where it gets credibility, not only from, from a comic book fans, from Batman fans, but from the masses as well. So they believe Rocksteady is going to be doing that with Batman Arkham Asylum to where it's not just the Batman fans that are going to be picking it up, but casual and hardcore gamers are going to be able to pick this video game and just absolutely love it. So that's great news. In the videos from E3, as we see through the course we weren't able to attend, <laughs> but I was nonstop on G4 and every game site. I saw the booth that they had Batman Arkham Asylum in, and they built an actual little set, a part of the video game, at E3s, and they had it playing uh, from what I've seen with Xbox 360s and PS3s of Batman Arkham Asylum there. So they even had a, a semi-Batmobile replica. It looked like part of the 89 may have been mixed in with a couple of other parts. But they actually had like a Batmobile there, which was a pretty sweet setup. On with that, what we also were treated to know was that the PS3 demo, guys, this is only PS3. The PS3 demo is, should be at a retail store somewhere near you to go ahead and try out. Now, it's not going to be able for you to pick up yet or to download. But if you go to Targets, you go to your Best Buys. Dustin's already seen it at Best Buy. Targets, Walmarts have this exclusive demo. It's going to be four. It looks like four rounds with Batman. And also in the fourth round, you get to fight Mr. Zaz. Now, it's not the way it was presented in the 15-minute demo, the way you have to 
track through the air conditioning ducts to just to get to Mr. Zaz is just like they gang up and beat Batman all at once. But it's a pretty sweet demo, guys. So if you can try to find it at a near store, a retail store near you, and go ahead and play because man, it is freaking awesome. I must have stayed in Target for hours just playing that same four rounds over and over. So <laughs> that was freaking sweet. But also what what I was talking to Nick about. Or is it getting credibility? Total Films in the July issue, which should be out this month, will also have a featured article on Batman Arkham Asylum, and they are just raving about it. So, you know, hey guys, this is looking to be a very big video game moment in history for Batman. And that's all the video game news that we have, guys. That's all I wanted to know. We don't have any general news for this episode, so let's get right into our spotlight character, which is, as I said earlier in the podcast, is going to be Deathstroke the Terminator. And the reason why we're doing Deathstroke is because he recently has made a reappearance to the Batman universe in The Outsiders, and if you listen to the comic cast, you'll know that he fought Alfred, and let's just say Alfred didn't lose. So let's go over Deathstroke the Terminator. Slade Wilson was a soldier who agreed to undergo experiments designed to create a form of super soldier. The result activated Wilson's meta-gene, which allowed him to use 90% of his mental capacity. His speed, agility, endurance, and healing abilities were all enhanced well beyond the human norm. Wilson also seemed to age at a slower rate. After his enhancements were tested, Wilson left the army and became a mercenary, using his marksmanship and fighting skills along his new physique to become the feared threat known as Deathstroke the Terminator. Armed with a power staff, pistols, and knives, he was an expert in most forms of hand-to-hand battle as well as comfortable with any form of weaponry. This was in the new Teen Titans from December 1980, and that was number two. At some point in Wilson's adult life, he was trained by an assassin known only as Not Us. How and when has not been recorded. Initially, Wilson kept the results of his tests hidden from his wife, Adeline, despite her experience as a military combat instructor. Together they raised Grant and Joseph, and all seemed fine for a time. Another mercenary, known as the Jackal, trying to learn who had put the hit out on his client, kidnapped Joseph to force Wilson to talk. Wilson refused and attempted to save his son, but not before the jackal slit Joseph's throat, rendering him mute. Adeline was enraged at Wilson for allowing this to happen and tried to kill him, but wound up only injuring him, ruining his right eye. As a result, Wilson took to wearing a white eye patch. In full battle gear, his mask was black on the entire right side. Joseph grew up a gentle soul, and when his metahuman power manifested, he wound up joining the Teen Titans, a team that had become a perennial problem for Wilson. His first contact with the team came when Grant, who also allowed himself to be enhanced, took a contract to destroy the team. As the Ravager, he battled the Titans, but died as a result of the treatment he endured. Deathstroke chose to inherit the contract, and thus began the series of battles that rapidly became legend. When he used the twisted team Terra to infiltrate the team, Wilson learned that the team leader Robin was Dick Grayson, and thus that Batman was Bruce Wayne. He used this knowledge frequently in his future encounters with both heroes, and this was in Tales of the Teen Titans number 44 from July 1984. 
at one point to save the world, Deathstroke wound up having to kill Joseph, codenamed Jericho. At the moment of his death, Jericho, who could possess others, entered Wilson's mind, where he would reside for years. In that time, Destro became a feared killer and frequent opponent, not only for the Titans, but for most superheroes. Still, he occasionally fought on the side of the Angels when circumstances dictated. In other such instances, he wound up fighting alongside the Titans against the Hive, which was then led by his ex-wife. Sometimes in the past, Adeline had received some of Wilson's blood and inherited many of his abilities, including the healing factor. When the immortal Vandal Savage slit her throat, she was left in a miserable state, begging for death. Wilson could not kill his ex-wife after killing Joseph, and watching Grant die instead of Nightwing's lover, Starfire delivered the killing blow. This was in the, the Titans, number 12, February 2000. Later, after watching the young heroes risk their lives time and again, Jericho influenced his father and sought to derail the budding careers of the latest incarnation of the Teen Titans. Deathstroke shattered Impulse's leg before Jericho was freed, leaving Wilson to deal with the repercussions of his acts. Seeking revenge against Jericho, he recruited his illegitimate daughter Rose to become the new Ravager. He used a serum similar to the one that had enhanced him, but in her case it left her mentally unstable, and her behavior included removing her left eye to match her father. Rose wound up fighting for Deathstroke before being freed of her mental troubles. She subsequently joined the Titans, atoning for her acts and hoping to master her skills. This was in the Teen Titans third series, number 34 in 2006. Deathstroke was hired by Dr. Light to act as his bodyguard when he was sought by the Justice League of America. During the inevitable fight, Green Arrow plunged a shaft into his empty eye socket to stop him which earned the Emerald Archer a new enemy in Identity Crisis number 2 in 2004. After learning that the heroes had used Zatanna's magic to alter many villains' memories, he eagerly joined a new secret society to unite the villains against the heroes. He served on its ruling council and personally acted as the muscle to convince people to join, and that was in Countdown to Infinite Crisis in 2006. While events were unfolding in the Brewing War, Deathstroke also masqueraded as Batman, feeding information to Arsenal, which was used by the Outsiders to take down threats to the coalescing society. He also hired Dick Grayson to train his daughter Rose in combat skills, but objected when he learned that Nightwing was also teaching her how to be good. Nightwing suggested that he stop training Rose if Deathstroke kept the society out of Bloodhaven deal was accepted and, and lasted for about 34 hours. At that point, Deathstroke was on hand when the, the living chemical creature Camo was dropped on the city, essentially destroying it. Nightwing got his own measure of revenge when he confronted Wilson and explained that the kryptonite rose hidden her empty eye socket to keep Superman away was slowly poisoning her. The explosive battle left Rose free to join the Titans and injured both men. But they lived, each man vowing revenge. This was in Nightwing number 112 through 117, November 2005 through April 2006. In the wake of the events known as Infinite Crisis, Deathstroke decided to fight fire with fire and built a team <laughs> of teens under his thrall. This Titans East included Batgirl, who was drugged by Wilson to get her to agree to join him. This was in Teen Titans 43 through 45 in 2007. In other realities, the name Deathstroke was used by others, not Slade Wilson, 
Intanja Comics at the Atom Number One, and just imagine Stan Lee with Jerry Orway creating JLA. Okay, so that's Deathstroke. So when you're reading The Outsiders, which if you're not reading, you should be because it's a good book right now, you'll know a little bit more about Deathstroke that you might not have known before. I'll be sure to give him your regard. Alright, so let's get into our feature. Now, you might be wondering why in the world will we possibly be talking about Batman Robin. If you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you know that we used to have Joel Shoemaker rituals every episode where we despise him and go on and on about him for quite some time and honestly it's been quite some time since we've had one of those so why not do something where we're completely berating joel shoemaker (laughs) Uh, yeah so basically what we're going to talk about is why it failed so miserably let's go over a couple different things let's go over the characters let's go over the the sets and the set design, and uh, then we'll go over just the plain old acting. First thing let's go over is the characters. First things first, Mr. Freeze. He was way too over the top. Yeah. I, I think Mr. Freeze was, he, he's more of an, a, a, a simplistic personality, what this happened to me, and now I'm going to get revenge. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger was just too over the top. And I, I didn't get the whole thing with the suit. I know he lives like he, he's got to wear like a, a, a suit. But I, to me, in my opinion, this is only Apple's opinion. It's pretty simple. It's a suit covered up and he has like a helmet, you know, covering his head. Pretty simple. Right. It doesn't have to be chrome and have a thousand details to it. Yeah. And it yeah, looked like yeah. his mouth, his mask was open, right? I, I didn't yeah. get that yeah. part. And, I, mean, I think it's interesting when you compare the Mr. Freeze from Batman and Robin to the story they did in the uh, animated film, the Sub-Zero one with Batman and Mr. Freeze and how those two characters, I think, you know, the Sub-Zero one worked enormously. And as you say, Apple, which is a simple character, something was taken from him. He wants to have his revenge. And I think Joel Schumacher just missed the mark completely in judging Mr. Freeze and just got it completely wrong. And, and the animated film got it completely right. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was about Freeze. It, his dialogue, I guess it was everything, because his dialogue was bad. I mean, yes, we get it. You can make puns about cold. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny for about, you know, three jokes. But, you Stay know. cool, bird boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have an ice day. It's not funny anymore. And his suit looked like it was plastic and it uh, I I don't get it and I mean why would they I don't understand why they used Arnold Schwarzenegger don't get me wrong I like Arnold Schwarzenegger in his other movies but it he's all Mr. Freeze is more of an emotional creature and they didn't need it's not like they wanted Arnold's legendary physique they covered him in plastic and they didn't want uh, his voice was kind of novel and interesting but not in a significantly not in a way that contributed to the character at all i just think that that was a mistake to use him he was just wrong he's an action hero that is not the emotional somewhat vulnerable being that Freeze needs to be to work. So, Shoemaker failed. 
epic fail. One thing that's kind of interesting is that, like, before the animated series brought Mr. Freeze back, Mr. Freeze was not... Not a big deal. I don't think he was used at all since the 60s show, because they made him over the top in the 60s show, not to mention he was played by three different actors. Well, that's not much to say, because Catwoman was too, but... The, the reality of it is, the animated series brought Mr. Freeze back, made him a decent villain to actually be in addition to the rogues gallery. And it just seemed like Batman and Robin decided, hey, that that's a awesome idea. I'm going to squash it now. So, yeah. yeah. And, and you know what the thing is that, that really upset me about this was that Mr. Freeze is really intelligent. And when he speaks... He he almost makes you feel bad for him, but even though he is a villain, it makes you feel bad for him. But he's so intelligent, uh, the way he connects things, and you didn't get that at all in this movie. Yeah, that yeah. was another thing that maybe that was a, a failure of casting, but that didn't work. Yeah. I'd have to actually, I'd have to disagree with you on the casting. I, when I first heard Arnie was Mr. Freeze, I actually thought that was a fantastic bit of casting. I think what went wrong, as I said before, was that Joel, and probably Arnie as well himself, working on that character did not do enough research. They clearly did not watch the animated series and see what they were doing with the character, because that was what we wanted. And I think it was just, they just got the character completely wrong. I think Arnie actually would have fitted in very well. Um, yeah. But that's just I, I, my I opinion. Rolled. Right, and I and I actually agree with you. I think Arnold was actually a decent pick for it. I think that the you got to keep in mind that we that most people are going to assume that he sucked in the role, but it was because he was so over the top. But that's how the script was. We've right. seen the script. If you don't haven't seen the script, go onto the website. We've got the script right there on the website, so you can read it and you can see that it is extremely over the top. He was doing what he was told by Joel Shoemaker and what was. His lines were said in the script. He didn't, like, ad-lib and add in those stupid puns that we all hate. Yeah, I don't blame him at all. I just don't think that his costumers, his script writers, everything surrounding him just didn't work. And maybe you're right. Mm -hmm. It probably could have been amazing. I mean, I probably would have loved that choice if it had been pulled off. Well, you know, at the at the time, because this this was happening fast. As soon as Batman Forever, they were already or trying to go into Batman and Robin, and during the casting, I was really hoping that Patrick Stewart was going to be linked to it because I was like, oh mm. wow, you know him as Mister Freeze. Oh, ah, cool. I was totally blown. I was like, yes, yes. And I remember Entertainment Tonight had reported that Patrick Stewart was being linked to the Mister Freeze role in this movie. When I heard it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, I was like. Okay, now I don't hate Arnold Schwarzenegger. I love him in my action movies. I don't like him in uh, like a serious type role. But with Batman and Robin, I didn't know what they were going with. I just saw you know Batman Forever. It, it, you know it kind of it was lighter than the Tim Burton's. I love the Burton stuff, but I really thought Patrick Stewart was going to get this role, and I was thinking, wow, that's going to be pretty cool. Him and Mister Freeze, but. When uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger came into it, I was like, oh, okay, you know, you know, he's going to be like Mr. Freeze. But it wasn't anything like what I thought it was going to be. Patrick Stewart would have been fantastic, actually. Yeah. That would, uh, what a change that they made in the consideration of the casting. Yeah. Huh. All right, so let's get into Poison Ivy. Again, well, way, way over the top. Honestly, I'm going to start off with saying Uma Thurman. 
horrible pick. I could probably name at least three to four other actresses right off the top of my head that I think could have played it better. I don't really like Uma Thurman. I don't like her voice. I don't like her her look. There's not much I like about Uma Thurman. I, I mean, she was good in Kill Bill, but that was... That was a role that was pretty much, in my opinion, designed for her. Poison Ivy? No. And especially the, the slinky green spandex suit that she wore in the, like, the, entire, uh, the entire movie, whether it be one uh, costume or another, that was just... No. No, seriously. I mean, like, I know they were trying to go for a kid audience, so they couldn't do the, you know, Poison Ivy that most people would automatically assume, which would be the Jeff Loeb... Jim Lee version, which wasn't even out at the time, but that's the version most people would think of when thinking of Poison Ivy and the cost and not green spandex suit. I don't think right. she ever had a green spandex suit the entire history of her <laughs> in the comics. <laughs> no, you, and you know the thing was that Uma Thurman was coming right off of a Pulp Fiction and everybody was like hot, oh, you know, you know, she played the role, and everybody's like, oh, Uma Thurman this, Uma Thurman that. You know, her first movie was with Anthony Michael Hall that was in the 80s where it was trying to be good or something like that where you played a football player. But that's where Uma Thurman first came out. Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction was, like, red hot, so they got her inside the Batman movie. That was a really bad choice because she could not play Pamela Isley at all. And it's just like, oh, my God, what do you do with the costume? I, I don't even want... It, it was just awful. Yeah. Thank you, Dustin, by the way. I I don't understand the big deal with Uma Thurman either. I'm glad that you don't think she's a big deal either. I don't think she's that pretty or that great an actress. But And putting her in Poison Ivy was just... She just had to do so much to be so over the top. It's just... Uh, and her hair, it was everywhere. Awful. And yeah. yeah, it was like four feet high there at the end. <laughs> it was insane. And she kept doing that thing where she would purse her lips and look down, and I was just like, "Eh, what? What is that face?" So, not not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when we talk about casting her just because she was popular, I think the whole film was cast in that way. I think they thought George Clooney, he's popular, let's cast him. Alicia Silverstone, she's popular, let's cast her. Same with Uma Thurman and Arnie and basically whoever was popular at the time they just cast. I don't think they really considered who... I mean, Patrick Stewart might not have been as big... I mean, he's a big name, but he's not as big as Arnie and so they would, they'll go for Arnie over that. I think that's probably why they did that in the end. I just think it's disappointing. You can't cast a film with characters in Batman who have got so much... So much depth, like Poison Ivy or Mr. Freeze, people who aren't big, big Batman fans would think that's just a sort of basic character with a sort of a one-trick pony. But really, uh, there's a lot of depth to some of these characters, and you can't just cast them at ease. You know, Patrick Stewart would have been excellent. He would have, I think, done a lot of research about something like Mr. Freeze. But yeah. if they just cast people, you know, willingly, very easily, and that's a very bad move, and clearly that's why the film didn't work out too well. All right, now let's get into one of the ones that most people talk about being a horrible character, and that would be Bane. Um, wow, Bane is not a idiot who's just muscle bound with a hose coming out of his head. I don't know why they decided let's portray him in this way. Bane was introduced during Nightfall, and he was not introduced as a bumbling idiot who followed orders from anybody who said to. He was 
very methodical, very strategic. That's how he got to break Batman's back. Why in the world they decided, oh yes, uh, let's make Bane this idiot who, I don't know, I, I did, really don't understand what they could have possibly been thinking when they made Bane for this I everybody in the Church of Batman just said Amen, Dustin. Amen. <laughs> what the heck were you doing with Bane? He is Batman's intelligent equal. That's what Bane was created as. And yes, he takes venom. Yes, he's muscular, but he is not dumb. And when they did that, I was like, I was ready to throw my cup at the screen and throw my popcorn on the floor. And I was like, This is not Bane. Do not do this. I was I was so upset. Jeep Swenson, who played Bane, was a professional wrestler. And anybody that watched WWF, WCW at the time, everyone knew who this guy was. And, you know, he's a big muscle-bound guy. So I was like, you know, how's he going to talk? They're probably going to have to get a voice actor to do the parts for Bane. But when they made him like this, and I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's the first moment I ever wanted to throw something at a screen. Yeah, no, no voice actor needed for. Yeah, he didn't have any lines. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I was just appalled. And the worst part is, like, I'll be talking to people about Batman and be bring up Bane, and they'll be like, "Oh, well, how would Bane ever break?" Um, no, no, you don't know anything about Bane. Don't tell me you watch Batman and Robin, and that's what you're basing your characterization of this person on. So it's just terrible that that's the image that people remember. Because uh, it's just shameful. That's all I have. What shocks me the most is that as a fan of Nightfall and and quite a fan of Bane as a villain when he was introduced, is that Nightfall came out probably a year or... I mean, this sort of story was developing just while they were writing this film, so they didn't have to go very far to find out what Bane is all about and they still got it completely wrong and I think it again shows a lack of research into these characters they just wanted a big muscly guy and it's a third villain in a film and I often find these superhero films when you get I mean two villains I think can sometimes be enough and I know he didn't do a lot but again you're just stuffing another character in there that we don't need right yeah and speaking of horrible character research let's move into Batgirl um Why would they have straight... Okay, I understand they wanted to do their own little version of Barbara Gordon, but I don't really get it. First of all, Batgirl is not Alfred's niece. Why they would have done that, I don't know. I also don't understand why... I mean, like, the whole point... You know, they had that whole little side story with Alfred was slowly dying... I get that. That's great. That's probably just because they knew the franchise was dying and Alfred wasn't going to be in anymore. Yeah, he represented the franchise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except they, they saved him at the end. Yeah, they saved him thinking, oh, this is actually going to work. Yeah, no, there's just nothing. I, I, I mean, Alicia Silverstone, by all means, she's a good-looking girl. She, did not, she didn't do a bad job playing Batgirl. It was Oof. just... Really? She, well, I wouldn't say she did a horrible job. I mean, she had she's just working with the same crap that everybody else was working well, with. Horrible lines and yep. horrible yeah. directing. Yep. Yeah. You know, the, the thing was that, of course, Lisa Silverstone hot off the Aerosmith videos and Poison Ivy. She was she was just hot. I, I did not 
see why they needed to bring Batgirl along. I know they brought, brought, brought Batman and Batman Forever. Most fans didn't want Robin in the movies yet because we didn't know how to feel about that. Then introducing Batgirl right off the bat. I know this was an homage to the 60s show, but the 60s were done for a reason because it was the 60s. And in this day and time, I don't think we can work that in that yet unless you know christopher nolan you know who's god to us right now just does something amazing but i, I didn't know why he brought her in and I, I love alicia silverstone i i just didn't want her and batman and robin see the thing is with her it was like they they okay we know that they put Batgirl in the 60s tv series to bring a more young female audience to the show that's why they probably did it in this too. We we know that they Batman and Robin was all about the merchandising more than anything else. That's why there was such crazy things created and their costumes were so above and beyond what they needed to be was because everything was about merchandising. And it seemed like they brought Batgirl along so that she could be the character that could appeal to the younger female audience because at this point I don't know if anybody would be able to, you know, honestly say that this movie wasn't designed for kids without, you know, stabbing themselves because they're just wrong. But that's probably why she was brought in, just as Robin was brought in for the, the Batman Forever, just because it appeals to, it makes you think that you can be alongside Batman, which was the original reason why Robin was created in the first place. But I just... Uh, yeah, Bat, the bad girl of this movie is like, she's like Jason Todd. She, she, she was like some punk, and they they brought her in just because they want needed some needed to fill some time, and they they just brought her in long enough to make her annoying. She got like fifteen minutes of screen time realistically, and the whole time she was whining about motorcycles and alfred and uh, except when she got in the suit which can we talk about for a second how dangerously close she came to having bat nipples as well <laughs> so that, no that no no we can talk about that we can talk about well, that <laughs> we'll, we'll, get into, we'll get into that when we talk about the sets and the costumes okay more. because i'm not done that <laughs> it, uh, so frustrating i just wanted to i just wanted to add with batgirl that First of all, I think she's meant to be English, isn't she? She's Alfred's niece, and uh, her English accent yes. is certainly lacking, I think. And she attends Oxbridge Academy, which doesn't exist, by the way, for you Americans <laughs> that aren't aware. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, she was just as a, just like Bane, just stuffed in there so they can make that extra toy, really. That's all, that's all she was. Okay. Now, real quickly, we don't really need to touch too much on Chris O'Donnell because – pretty much the same thing as the last movie only he had more puns and more useless lines George Clooney, now George Clooney the man who at the time was people's sexiest man alive that's why he was cast as Batman there could be a thousand other reasons why people might say he was cast as Batman but I'm pretty positive that's why they wanted somebody who was hot and a lot of people wanted to see so they were like oh well, let's get the guy that people saying he's the sexiest man alive to play Batman. He was a horrible Batman. I'm sorry, but Val Kilmer, a lot of people don't like Val Kilmer as Batman. Val Kilmer had a little bit serious. George Clooney, it was basically like you, you plucked the 
doctor that he played in ER put him in a mansion, <laughs> said his name was Bruce Wayne, and then you put a costume on him. And the worst part about it is, you know it's George Clooney wearing the mask. It's not Batman and who's under the mask. Is it Bruce Wayne? Is it George Clooney? No. You know it's George Clooney wearing the mask because he doesn't change his voice. He has that very prominent chin that he has that, I'm sorry, in this day and age, even back in 1998, nobody in their right mind would be able to fool anybody with that face. Yeah, you know, and and the funny thing is that I've talked into a lot of, you know, a lot of Batman fans, and the only thing that they will agree on is that they liked George Clooney's chin in the Batman mask in 97. And... (laughs) I, that's like, and that's so funny to me because his chin is like Jay Leno to me. It's recognizable. You know what I mean? It's just like Jay Leno. Are you recognize that chin? You're like, oh hey, yeah, that's that's George Clooney. I I will give him that. I will agree with you. Okay, he he looked good in that. But that's the only part. That's the only part that George Clooney looked good in as Batman. He's wearing an overcoat and he's moving his little. I don't know what's with the head swivel. What what is that? What he's gonna swivel his head like it's like not connected to his his spine. He's just gotta move it side to side. I don't get that. I just don't get that. <laughs> but I mean, hot off of ER also. He was on ER, sexiest man alive, like Dustin said, and I, I loved him in the Ocean movies. I don't like him as Batman. I didn't like him as Batman. Yeah, he's. It didn't work. It was so awkward. He's. I don't know. He's always like the charming rogue kind of, and then they made him Batman. Well, they didn't really succeed in making him Batman. They made him George Clooney in a bat suit. So, I don't really have much to add there. It just didn't work. I can imagine when George Clooney came into the audition room, Joel Schumacher took one look at his chin and said, this is the man. This is the guy we want. (laughs) But um, I just thought George Clooney, I I, I think since the film's been released, he's sort of, he's been quoted as saying he thought it was a pretty poor film. And I think he must have thought that while he was doing it as well, because he just doesn't look into it at all. He just really looks like he wants this to be over. And uh, I'm sure it's a part of his career he would love to erase. I'm sure he never brags to anybody, yeah, I played Batman. You know what? And, and George Clooney will not back down on questions about this movie. That That's to his credit. He'll be like, hey, yep, yeah, you know, it was bad, you know, and he'll still talk about it. So, you know, props to him to still talk about it and to know that, hey, it was, it was bad. You know, I agree. I don't know what was going on with the script. So that that's kudos for him that he does still talk about it. At least it didn't kill his career like some of the other actors in there. Right. <laughs> All right. Let's go over just general the costumes. We touched on Mr. Freeze being a plastic costume, Poison Ivy having the spandex costume. Now, the costumes for Batman, Robin, and Batgirl. Batman's, they had that one where it was just like all black. I was like, okay, but the nipples are are still there. I, <laughs> I, 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 didn't, I didn't get that part. I, 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 to this day, I still don't get it. I, I don't get why they had to do it like that. And too much ribs. I mean, what's with all the ribs? Like, yeah, I mean, we know Batman works out, but geez, that's that's like a muscle-bound guy kind of ribs going right there. I mean, I, the bat suits could have been better. Could have been better. That's the... <laughs> Seriously, they, they were Couldn't a travesty. They were horrible. And it was so awkward when they were doing the suit-up scenes. And it was like the second frame that you saw was George Clooney's crotch. It's like, no, 
no, I don't want to see that. And <laughs> it's all, everything's plastic and horrible and everything is just, ugh. Yeah, what was that with the butt shot? I didn't get that. I don't want to see his butt. There's a cape for a reason. They got capes. We don't see their butt ever. Yeah, I don't want to see the plastic butt sliding up his legs. That's just too much. Too much detail on the costumes. I've got one compliment, actually, about the costumes. I actually... They must have done done a bit of research, apparently, because the Robin costume... I I mean, I'm quite a Nightwing fan, and you can tell from the Robin costume, the red sort of band across his chest is a bit similar to the the Nightwing outfit. So they clearly do some sort of research, because that was some sort of homage to the comics. But (laughs) I'm just trying to think of something positive. Only they misplaced it because he was a Nightwing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Exactly. It was. I'm just uh, trying to do something positive. Yeah, I, I was traumatized by those suits. It was horrible. They were awful, and the ice ones as well. Pretty awful. Uh, yes. Oh, uh, bad bad girls. I I like Alicia Silverstone, so she was wearing something tight. So that was you know that's that's like a plus. But I I didn't get the whole suit up thing because then I felt like I was a pervert. I was like, oh oh, did I just like that? Did I was I the only one? You know, I, I didn't want. Isn't to this a kids' like film? I, exactly. And we're, I, I was like, don't. I appreciate the butt shot right there, but I mean, I, I just felt like a little bit, little bit walking the line of a perv right there. I was like, oh, I just I just really watched that and kind of did. I feel bad. Uh, yeah, you, you can't even but imagine I, me watching it as an eight-year-old. Like, what? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> it's, but it's, I understand that Joel Schumacher got his inspiration for these outfits from... He said he was going for, like, ancient Greek sort of myth, mythological gods and stuff like that. You know, right. the whole ch- chiseled outfit, the chiseled, you know, chest and stuff. But, I mean, it just didn't work. It's just wrong. Right, so yeah, just wrong. Just wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's jump over to the sets real quickly. As we know, everything was made because of the merchandise. That's why the Batmobile had like a nuclear reactor for an engine, <laughs> and the Freeze Mobile was like some kind of perfectly shaped mobile that you could easily make a toy out of, which is interesting enough because I remember seeing an interview with Joel Schumacher where he said that a lot of the design for the sets and the vehicles and stuff came from the toy designers saying, hey, this is what we can make, so see if you can make this. So that's one thing that maybe he didn't have a huge say in, but I'm telling you, if I was a director making a movie that's expected to make a couple hundred million dollars, I'd say, sorry, uh, no, this is going to make my movie suck. Yeah, do it my I, way. I, I, I'm not going to bother. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get the whole sets, like the opening scene with the museum. Uh, it, it just felt like so fake. It just looked like a big warehouse, and we're just going to put all this fake stuff in there, and we're saying it's a museum. All right, here we go. I, just... I didn't, I didn't get that whole set thing. And and thus have talked about you know one fa- fine fact about the Batmobile was this was an actual. Batmobile that you can really drive fast. It's, it's the first Batmobile of all of, of since not not the Tumbler, but before all the Batmobiles that can actually really drive and haul butt, and had custom tires made for it with the bat symbol on it. So that that was really huge. I think it had like a three fifth Chevy three fifty V eight in it, and this thing couldn't haul butt. So that was only po- probably one of the positive things out of Batman and Robin. But the sets were just horrible. 
Yeah. That, that museum was just a warehouse with a big dinosaur in it, and they assumed oh. everyone would think that's a museum. Yeah, and the poison ivy's lair at the end with the vines. I love that because they look so much like the, you know, those plastic flowers that you buy at Hobby Lobby? <laughs> yeah. That's. You know, when you go down that aisle, that's pretty much what Ivy's Lair looked like. And the, all the black lights. What is Joel Shoemaker's thing with black lights? I didn't black understand. Black lights are neon lights. Yeah. Yeah, it, it made the whole thing look like a giant nightclub. It was it was just weird. Yeah. yeah. And and this guy directed one of the favorite films of all time, which was Lost Boys. And that was a very kind of dark film. I'm like, dude, what did you do to Batman? What happened I mean, to you? Yeah, you know what happened? Where did we go wrong? Where did we go wrong? That's what we're here to find out. <laughs> but no, but but Dust did talk about the the freeze mobile. I kind of liked that. It had like a a like nineteen twenty nineteen thirties feel to it. I didn't like the spike so I loved Robin's bike. It had that nineteen thirties feel. But other than that, I didn't get the whole giant statues in Gotham City that were you know almost semi naked holding something. I mean, I like the large statues, but not like that though. <laughs> that was weird. Kind of another creepy thing that, like, yeah, it was I like, feel kind of bad watching this film. <laughs> it's like a big statue holding a highway. It's holding yeah. a highway. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm going to really trust that. Yeah. So the worst part about it was, like, you know, not to say, I, I can't stand that kind of architecture. Well, it was really prominent in Batman Forever and Batman Robin with the giant half-naked statues holding giant random like globes in the middle of the city. What city spends that much money on a statue to hold a globe? That, that Nobody spends money on that, especially a city that's in desperate need of a superhero to save them from the crime. Stop spending your money on statues like that and start spending on better police. I mean, that's just me, but the thing was, you know, they did have some of those half-naked men in Batman and Batman Returns too, and I didn't really like that either. I don't like when cities have ginormous statues that but they were attached to buildings on but that they were, yeah those movies. those were for gotham public works the, the they were actually pulling cranes for like it looked like for the water but, but, but what is the point of that let's spend excess money on a, a statue that pulls a uh, pulls a crank for a public works building come on <laughs> it's ridiculous that they did. I, I didn't. I didn't find a problem within Batman and Robin. I, I saw the big problems in Forever and in Batman and Robin when there were just statues just in the city. And see, but here's the thing: the problem is, it's like people like yourself who are like, "Oh yeah, I liked it in Batman and Batman Returns." So Joel Shoemaker's like, "Oh really? You like that? Okay, I'm gonna take it to the extreme. Let's make it ginormous. <laughs> Don't make naked. this our fault. <laughs> Do not yeah, make that's this our not fault. our fault. It was it, it was a different industrial tech art design that a new de- designer came in and said, "Okay, well we'll have it holding up a highway." It was like, "Okay, that was just the line drawn right there." Yeah. See. The thing is, Tim Burton took an actual architectural style, which I can't. Oh, I know. I, I'm yeah. just saying. I don't. I'm not a big fan. Not of a fan of that style. style. I'm not but either. But is... he actually used it in its original form, so it was like, okay, we know when Gotham was built. Kind of interesting. But Joel Shoemaker, there, there was never anything. It looked like, like a playset. It looked like a playset. Yeah. Nobody yeah. builds like that ever. Never. Clearly, the the formula for a successful Batman film is lots of half naked statues. You're not going to do well. No half naked statues. Dark Knight. You're going to do well. 
right, so let's go over just the last bit. What's our overall feeling of the movie? We've touched on the well, characters in the set. What, what do you reckon to saying something, if we could think of anything positive about it? Anything. Yeah. Um. I can't. I, I like the vehicles. I, I like that. <laughs> you, know, you know, I take that back. There is one thing that I kind of liked. It was, I was only, let's see, 12 or 13 when that movie came out and when that movie came out it was featured in like every single kids magazine and I don't know if anybody remembers but there used to be a magazine called Disney's Adventures yes I love that Yeah, and they featured Batman Robin for like three months straight in that book and they went over like every gadget that he was going to use and it was pretty detailed so the one thing that I'd have to say is they did a good marketing as far as marketing towards a younger crowd, obviously, now that we're not younger, it doesn't really hold up, but they did a good job marketing it towards a younger crowd, and I think the gadgets were cool. Yes, they were overboard. I don't know why you would be carrying chrome gadgets around with you. People, the whole idea of being a dark character that hides in the shadows is that someone shines a flashlight, you're not given away by your chrome gadget, but, you know, that's just uh, how it is. I'd have to say that the gadgets were pretty cool because they did a little bit more with them than they did in the previous films. Yeah, you know what? I, I like the vehicles in here. I will agree with you about the marketing because the marketing was just, like, really out there. I mean, it, as far as, like, cups and stuff, that was, you know, that was out there. One thing that I did like was probably maybe the video game. The video game that came along with the movie was actually pretty decent. It was a pretty decent video game. Let's see. I liked the design of Arkham Asylum. That was kind of cool. Yeah. True. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention. I was going to mention that as well. I, I mentioned that on a previous podcast once. Yeah, I think that that Arkham that. Asylum actually looks quite good. But yeah. we mentioned that's probably not Joel Schumacher's uh, job to do that. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> and I think, if I remember right, Wayne Manor looked pretty interesting too, in as far as the interiors and things like that. But uh, other than that, I. Well, I'm sure it gave a boost to the plastic industry, so that was probably good yeah. for some people. <laughs> and that's about all I can think of. Do you guys want to hear the list of the Razzies that it won in that year? Do we have time? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got Alicia Silverstone, worst supporting actress, Schumacher, mm. worst director, George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell, worst screen couple. Worst screenplay, Chris O'Donnell and Arnold for Worst Supporting Actor, Uma Thurman for Worst Supporting Actress, Worst Song, and also, of course, Worst Picture. Which worst song? Billy Corgan for The End is the Beginning is the End. Get out of here. Which is the same song that they just used for... That is crazy. When I got the city by R. Kelly, I mean, got <laughs> oh, that's I mean, uh, oh come on, it's oh, like a dumb song, and I'm like, got the city yeah. nowhere near that. But I, don't I think was that even it. Lied. I don't know why. It was bad. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. Could, Apart from that song, I think all those awards are deserved. Yeah. We could probably go on and on about how much Batman Robin sucks, but that would take a long time, and we might save more discussion for that sometime in the future. So, that's going to wrap up the feature. The Iceman cometh. Now, I just want to remind everybody, you can go on iTunes, leave us a review, subscribe on iTunes. We have a blog spot, Facebook, and MySpace. You can join the forums on the website, thebatmanuniverse.net. 
There's plenty of people always on the forums leaving comments and talking about all kinds of things related to Batman, and even some things that aren't related to Batman sometimes. Um, we've got the website, which we keep up to date daily with all the news that's coming out from Batman. You can check out the latest pictures and videos that you can't see or hear on the podcast. You can check that stuff out on the website. The video game section for all of you guys who are wait, anxiously awaiting Batman Arkham Asylum has been extremely updated, which it's been updated for a month now, but you might not know about it. The extensive history of every single Batman video game, including videos, screenshots, history of the games, is all on the website for you guys to check out. And that's pretty much all that you can do for the website and you can do to get involved with other people that are involved with the podcast. But one thing that uh, I kind of want to throw out there, if there's anybody out there who is interested in coming on the podcast, this podcast, the normal podcast, in the future as a guest co-host and you have an idea for a feature, email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. All you need to have is Skype and a microphone, and hopefully your connection is good, we'll test it out ahead of time, and have an idea for a feature that you want to talk about. We've got some people who've been wanting to be guest co-hosts for quite some time that we've been working on, and the next episode we're going to try to get the first one going. So, that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Apple. This is Savannah. And this has been Nick. You've been listening to the Batman Universe podcast, episode number 34. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Later, after watching the young heroes risks their... When the immortal Vandal Salvage slit her throat, she was left in... You said Vandal Savage. Vandal Savage. Okay. When the immortal Vandal Salvage slit her throat, she was... What did I say? (laughs) Time to scream. Chicks dig the car. You get the ice, I'll get the ice man. Do we get it? They replaced my blood with aloe. Please be looking for me. Actually, I'm looking for Alfred Pennyworth. Hello, my little pretty, pretty, pretty. Hello yourself. Poison Ivy, why would she help Freeze escape? Well, she's definitely evil. Why are all the gorgeous ones homicidal maniacs? I'm a lover, not a fighter. That's why every Poison Ivy action figure comes complete with him. Exit, Bane. Exit. You're about to become compost. Bruce, it's me, Barbara. I found the Batcave. Let's kick some ice. Excuse me, I believe I'm the one who kicked Ivy's botanical butt. Yeah, that was me. Partners. Partners. We're going to need a bigger cave.